and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School Policy Cast, an ongoing conversation about public policy, governance, and global issues. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is New York Times Chief Washington Correspondent David Sanger. David has been a member of two Pulitzer Prize-winning reporting teams, teaches here at the Kennedy School as an adjunct lecturer, and recently published a bestseller, Confront and Conceal, Obama's Secret Wars and Surprising Use of American Power. David, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you, Matt. So in February, you broke the story about Unit 61398, a unit within China's People's Liberation Army, uh, which focused on cyber warfare. We've heard a lot about foreign hacking attempts in the news for years. What made this unit different? What made this approach different? Well, the attacks on the U.S., as you said, had gone on for years. And the group that was considered responsible for a large number of these attacks is known in the hacking community as Comet Crew. The question was, who are these guys? Where did they come from? Uh, it was clear from tracking back to the IP addresses of computers they used that they seemed to be Chinese in origin. Over time, a company called Mandiant, which uh, helps companies get rid of um, intruders in their computer systems, uh, had studied this group and made available uh, to us their findings, which took the uh, attacks back to a single neighborhood outside of Shanghai, near the Shanghai airport, where the neighborhood is a bunch of noodle shops and, you know, small, small businesses and one giant tower for a uh, Chinese People's Liberation Army base. So either the attacks were coming out of that tower or they were coming out of the noodle shops, but uh, those were really the only two choices. And these were remarkably sophisticated attacks that hit everything from American companies where this groups um, swept up a lot of intellectual property to companies like a small firm in Canada called Telvent that designs the software for running the valves uh, on gas pipelines throughout the United States and through much of the rest of, of North America. And uh, the import of that was that it wasn't clear that the Chinese were just trying to steal the intellectual property or perhaps trying to figure out how they could hijack this, uh, uh, this gas pipeline if they ever needed to. Now, China isn't the only country involved with this kind of cyber warfare. The United States has been involved as well, as you've pointed out, uh, with things like the Stuxnet virus, which attacked Iran's uh, nuclear processing capability. In that situation, it seems like the United States was trying to achieve a very uh, specific goal. China's attempts seem to be a little bit more varied. Are they attacking to achieve things, or are they just trying to find weaknesses in the system? Well, as you point out, the United States also has developed a, an offensive capability, though it's one it almost never talks about. And Confront and Conceal uh, discussed at length the most famous of these, which was an operation called Olympic Games that began in the Bush administration, proceeded into the Obama administration, and was that very sophisticated attack on the centrifuges at Natanz, the underground enrichment center for uh, the Iranians. Um, the U.S. would argue that if it uses cyber weapons, and it doesn't exactly admit to them, it uses them only for purposes of immediate national defense. They separate that out from what the Chinese are doing, which is largely using cyber uh, attacks for commercial gain, to sweep up large amounts of proprietary data. Uh, now, why would the Chinese go do that? 
Well, for one thing, the People's Liberation Army is in a huge number of businesses in China. And uh, so they may consider themselves a competitor uh, with these. For second thing, you can sometimes dual purpose an attack. So that attack on Telvet might have been for uh, the gas pipeline designs, might have been for the ability to turn off the gas in time of conflict, might have been for both. Isn't that a big risk for China to take? I mean, clearly, if, if uh, an independent group can trace back to uh, one building where all these attacks are happening, isn't that something that China is risking relations with other countries by doing that? Absolutely. And the U.S. position to the Chinese has been that cyber attacks, which have usually been on sort of the periphery of the relationship, are now moving to the center of the U.S.-Chinese dialogue. The Treasury Secretary, Jack Lew, was over in China a few weeks ago. He raised it. John Kerry will be there soon. He's going to raise it. Tom Donilon, the National Security Advisor, is going soon. He'll raise it as well. The question is, how do you set up some rules akin to the rules that we had during the Cold War so that both sides sort of know what's going on? Hard to do in this case because the Chinese say they're not perpetrators of this. They are victims of cyber attacks. And the United States, while it has an uh, offensive capability of its own, as we talked about in the Iran context, doesn't want to limit that capability or acknowledge it with an international agreement. What has the United States in particular done to defend itself? Well, you see a few things. Uh, in the government sector, uh, where the government's got complete control, defense computers, computers owned by the U.S. government, they're pretty well defended, not perfectly and, you know, as the Iranians discovered, defending a network alone doesn't necessarily help you because the uh, computers that were being attacked in the Iranian uh, uh, enrichment centers weren't connected to the Internet. So people had to find another way in. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the U.S. can try to require companies that own critical infrastructure, the uh, power grid, for example, or uh, the cell phone networks or the emergency responder networks to live up to a, a federal government set standard. That's what they tried to get through in a cyber bill last year. It was defeated by businesses that did not want to have the requirement of those investments put on them. Uh, now there's been a little bit of a change in the thinking because so many companies have been struck, most recently American Express, J.P. Morgan. Is there any progress that is shown? I mean, is there another version of this bill that could possibly be brought forward? Or? There's a version of the bill that's making its way through the Senate right now. And do you think that as a public policy goal, it's you know something that uh, could actually pass and do real uh, uh, defense? In the, in the end, Matt, the government can defend its sites, but against intellectual property theft and sort of routine attacks, it can't defend the private sector. It can help give guidance. It can set some standards if the bill passed, but it can't do it itself. It would be like building a, a, the government building a perimeter security system for IBM or Apple or something like that. Uh, at the same time, it can require it of companies that do a lot of sensitive business with the United States. For example, defense contractors. And it's possible that that will begin to set a sort of best practices standard that will then spread elsewhere through industry. North Korea was recently pointed at for having attacked South Korean banks, um, attacked South Korean infrastructure uh, through cyber warfare. 
how can uh, a country like North Korea, which is so cloistered, so cut off from the rest of the world, develop systems and develop a, uh, a hacking community uh, that can successfully carry out attacks like that? Well, Matt, there are two answers to the question. The first is they can hire the talent and they can direct some of their attacks through China. Um, yeah, there are other scientific talents they've proven pretty good at. They've got missiles that can fly as far as the Philippines and maybe further. They've set off three nuclear tests. So uh, it's not beyond the pale that they could develop a significant, if not especially sophisticated, cyber capability uh, as well. Um, or, as I like to say, this isn't rocket science, and it's turned out they do rocket science pretty well. Uh, the second element of the question, though, is are cyber attacks more attractive for countries that have so little to lose? So let's say North Korea turned off South Korea's ATMs, the banking machines, as they were accused of doing. Let's say in some future attack they turned off the power grid. North Korea isn't really vulnerable to much counterattack. So just as in the old days of the Cold War, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were in some kind of a strategic equilibrium, in cyber, the U.S. and China are in some part of strategic equilibrium, but no one's in equilibrium with the North Koreans, and to some degree, no one's in equilibrium with the Iranians either. You say they don't have much to lose. Is that because that they don't have much in general, or yeah. is it because they're disconnected from you know network computing? I mean, both, both, I and mean, they are disconnected from network computing. Mm -hmm. But you can't threaten to turn out the lights in a country that doesn't hurt turn them on. Is North Korea protected? just by way of the fact that it's you know disconnected literally from from the internet i mean it, are, is it the does, military it protects them that certainly protects them against network attack mm -hmm. now in the iranian case um, the uh, iranian centrifuges weren't on a network uh, as we discussed and yet they were still attacked mm -hmm. so not being disconnected from the web may help protect you but it's not a full solution what about uh, anonymous or uh, uh, you know groups like hacking groups like that? Uh, anonymous uh, recently said that they were out to take out North Korea as best they could and release fifteen thousand names and logins to one of their websites. However useful that is, right. <laughs> I'd be impressed if the North Koreans had fifteen thousand uh, names and logins. There are two oddities in cyber conflict. One is it's a, the tool is incredibly broad. So you could just have cyber disruption, messing up the ATM machines. You could have cyber theft, stealing the plans for a fighter jet. You could have cyber sabotage, closer to what the US did to the Iranian centrifuges. You could have all out cyber war, where you're using cyber weapons to do things you would try to do in a general war, including shutting down an industrial base and turning off the power and, and so forth. Um, the Chinese are deterred from general cyber war. It's not clear necessarily the North Koreans are. The fact that sometimes it's hard to uh, figure out where a cyber attack comes from helps the attacker. And back in the nuclear age, you know, you could stand in front of a big screen under some mountain in Colorado and see the image of the missile taking off and headed to the United States. By the time you see the cyber missile headed to the United States, it's already in the country, and you're 
response time is about three milliseconds. So what's that tell you? You're not going to defend against it. You've got to be resilient. You've got to be able to take the hit. And then you have to have good enough intelligence to know where you could strike back. And then you've got to make a political decision. Do you want to strike back? So as you mentioned, there are individuals who could go do this. So we can sign a treaty with the Chinese. We haven't done it yet that says, thou shalt not engage in the following activities. My experience is teenagers don't sign treaties. And so that's one of the great difficulties of this weapon, which is almost anyone can own it. And is that something that, I mean, is that something that we should be worried about? Or is that something that just, it's... It, it's in the environment. You got to go deal with it. Mm -hmm. Just as we had to go deal with it, you know, we didn't deal with nuclear weapons and chemical and biological weapons the same way. Mm -hmm. One day we may need a treaty on drones as other countries develop the kind of capability the United States has had. Mm -hmm. We'll certainly need some kind of understandings about how you use cyber. These teenagers with computers, it seems like there's no way to actually regulate them. So The question is how much do you need to worry about them? Can you build a system resilient enough that it's relatively impenetrable by, to, to teenagers? Yes. Can you build a system that's resilient enough that is relatively impenetrable to state-sponsored actors with unlimited resources or just about unlimited resources to mount such, some of these attacks? No. And that's why, to some degree, you can't worry about the non-signatories to that treaty. David Sanger, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. You've been listening to PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. More information can be found at hkspolicycast.org.